Today, uh, we're reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received the good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of God for all of us. Thanks be to God. I ask you please to pray with me. May the words that I say and the reflections that go through all of our minds, may these give you pleasure, God, you who are our rock, you who save us. Amen. I have an old friend whose partner does very high-end interior design work. Uh, Doug has designed one house, but most of his work is interior spaces, knocking down walls, putting in new things. He designs custom designs, furniture and other uh, accoutrements for various people's homes, and uh, he works with very, very wealthy people. When I was in seminary, my friend uh, Steve was showing me a picture of some of the work that Doug had done. It just beautiful spaces. I was so impressed. And then I was shown this particular set of blinds that Doug had, they were uh, kind of carefully crafted, designed wooden slatted blinds for a particular bank of windows. And Steve said to me, well, guess how much that cost? I don't design. I have no idea. And I said, I don't know, a thousand dollars? Steve laughed. No, more. And I said, $3,000, which just seemed crazy to me. Oh no, Jane, oh no, 10 times that, $30,000? He said, yep, those are $30,000 blinds. Like, what? When I told this at eight o'clock, someone after the service said, yeah, I would need a car to come with those. <laughs> 
also $30,000 blinds. And, you know, I just, it was, I was in seminary. I was poor as a church mouse. I could, like, $30,000 blinds. Oh, my words. The student debt, the, the comfort that would give to clergy with student debt. You cannot imagine $30,000. Oh, my heavens. So shortly after I had seen the amazing $30,000 blinds, I went out to dinner with Steve and Doug, and they're telling me about their work. And Doug just seemed a little off that night. So I was trying to kind of shift the tone, and I said, so tell me, tell me about one of your clients you're really enjoying working with. And he said, oh, none of them. And Steve looked at him and said, none of them? And I was like, wow, none of them? And Doug shared that he works for these just the particular clients with whom he was working at that point were very, very high-end work and very wealthy, and they were used to having a lot of money, and they were used to throwing their money at whatever they wanted and commanding people to do exactly as they wanted, and if they didn't like it, they would put more money at it. And Doug made a ton of money at this. He received commissions in the furniture that he would order or design for them, so they were leading a very posh life. But at that particular moment in time, he was working with people who were not very kind or generous people, and he was not enjoying himself at all. I remember thinking, I have to confess to you that at that point in my life, I felt pretty jealous of them. They, uh, they had an amazing uh, kind of sky-rise apartment in Chicago. They had a second home in Michigan. They drove a Range Rover, and they had enough money to take their pauper friend Jane out for really nice dinners in Chicago sometimes. So I really benefited from their lifestyle. But I remember driving home that night and thinking, wow, my life is so much happier than theirs is. I had no idea. I get to work with really lovely and loving people, and wow, that's not worth it. That story from years ago came back to me when I read the story about the rich man and Lazarus, because it's a story about someone who has a lot of money but is missing some crucial things. So I want to reflect with you on the story, kind of unpack what is going on, reflect more deeply on what's getting signaled to us within the story, and then hear what it's saying to each of us as we hear this uh, powerful and troubling parable of Jesus's. So the story of rich man and Lazarus is, uh, it's kind of, obviously it's a caricature. So there was a rich man who, we don't know the rich man's name. When this was translated into Latin, the term for wealth is dives. And so sometimes you'll hear the Lazarus and dives. That actually isn't the wealthy man's name, it's just the term for wealth. But if we want to call him dives, whatever. It was the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man lived a very posh, very sumptuous life. The scriptures tell us that he was dressed in purple, and that doesn't necessarily mean the color purple. It had to do with a very expensive fabric that was dyed by an extremely rare dye, a color that was generated by mollusks who lived in only a tiny part of the Mediterranean. How's that for rare? So if you dressed in purple, you had money. You were generally royalty 
or extremely wealthy if you could afford this very expensive dye. In addition, it said he was dressed in fine linen, and the, again, the Greek term for that kind of linen is a very fancy form of linen that was used when people were, uh, when priests were waiting at the temple. They wore that kind of linen. It wasn't everyday wear. It was kind of special. So imagine your most special holiday clothes. That's how this guy dressed every single day, dressed sumptuously in purple and fine linen. In addition, he ate sumptuously. He had huge banquets and ate sumptuously every day. Now, I'm not sure how literalistic to be, but if we are taking this literally, his eating a banquet every day meant he was sinning. Because in Jewish law, people would work six days, but then the seventh day, they would rest on the Sabbath. And so very wealthy people might have sumptuous meals six days a week, but one day a week you would have a simpler meal that your servants had prepared the day before, then you would eat that simpler meal so that your servants could take a rest day. If the description of Lazarus, of the rich man is literally true, then he's not giving his staff a day off. He is eating sumptuously every day and he is not following the command to take Sabbath rest. He is expecting, he's being waited on on the Sabbath, but he's expecting his staff to work. So what we know about this guy is he has a whole lot of money, he dresses kind of conspicuous consumption, and he eats very sumptuously and perhaps doesn't even let his servants take the day off that is mandated uh, in the Ten Commandments. So pretty, pretty selfish all-about-me guy. Then there's more. Outside this guy's gate is a man named Lazarus. Lazarus is suffering tremendously. Lazarus is unable to move. It refers to Lazarus lying there, that he was laying there. We assume that probably friends brought him. Perhaps they left him at this man's gate because they knew the man was wealthy and might have the resources to be able to help him. But Lazarus is lying at his gate. He is very hungry. He is very poor. And he has sores, which the dogs come and lick. Uh, Lazarus is a man of great suffering, and he's so hungry, and he just, oh, if he could just have some of the leftovers of that rich man's table. But none of that food ever came out to him. So we don't know much about Lazarus. We don't know what his illness was that gave him the sores. We don't know if he is lazy or hardworking. We really don't know anything about his ethics, but we know that he is a man unable to move himself, lying at the gate of a rich man, hungry and suffering. And then Lazarus dies and the rich man dies. Lazarus dies, he's carried by the angels, and he's in the bosom of Abraham. Now, bosom of, what the heck? That, that is a, uh, it's a, a translation of a phrase that would have made sense in Jesus' time. When they were eating at a banquet, the people would recline, and then someone would be kind of right next to you, kind of your closest friend would be lying next to you, reclining at the banquet. So we hear the same term in the Gospel of John when John, the beloved disciple, is reclining next to Jesus. That's the same language we have of Lazarus with Father Abraham. He is at a banquet and he is reclining next to him. This is the derivation of the term a bosom friend, someone who is right next to you feasting at the banquet. So Lazarus' life has changed dramatically. He is now in heaven. He is at the bosom of Father Abraham and he is at a feast. He's finally getting the food. Wow, have things changed for the rich man. 
Just as Lazarus has had this stunning reversal, now he's in heaven at the bosom of Father Abraham, the rich man is in Hades, and he is tormented by flames, and he is dying of thirst. And he looks up, and he sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. Probably pretty galling to him. And so he calls out, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to bring me water. Tell him just dip his finger in some water and, and, because I'm very thirsty. Does Father Abraham do the rich man's bidding? Nope. Father Abraham says, well, actually, you had your good life with your good things, and now you're in torment. Lazarus suffered a lot in his life, and now he's in paradise. And he said, besides, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, and we're not able to pass through this chasm for Lazarus to come and to serve you, is the implication. Well, the rich man hears that, and he immediately thinks of his brothers. Here he is suffering in hell, and he thinks, okay, then someone's got to warn my brother. So send Lazarus to go warn my brothers. Father Abraham responds, oh, your brothers have the law and the prophets. Now, when we're talking about the law and the prophets, we mean the Hebrew Bible. So the law is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books. And the prophets are the prophetic writings. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, you know, all of the, the writings that speak of so social justice. Father Abraham is saying they have all they need to lead a just life. Well, they've got the law and the prophets. And clearly, the rich man knows that his brothers don't pay attention to the scriptures <laughs> because he says, oh, yeah, but if you send someone who's risen from the dead, then they'll really pay attention. And Father Abraham says, I'm guessing a little icily, you know, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're probably not going to pay attention to anyone risen from the dead. That's the end of the story. Pretty disturbing. We hear this story and there are temptations and challenges in how we hear it and how we interpret it. The easiest thing is to say, wow, what a relief. That doesn't speak to me at all. I'm not as rich as the rich man. I'm not covered with sores. Okay, this is one of Jesus's parables for other people. Except we know that almost all of Jesus's parables address all of us. <laughs> Although we may wish they are parables for other people, at some level, they're speaking to each of us. So then we get to the next level. Well, so is this a parable? Is Jesus saying that all wealthy people are terrible sinners and all poor people are tremendously righteous? No, that is not what it's saying. There are many wealthy people in the Gospels and in the Hebrew Scriptures who are generous, compassionate people. Uh, Jesus' ministry was funded by many wealthier people. When Jesus went to Bethany, where did he stay? He stayed in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who shared their food and their home with him. Many wealthy people supported Jesus' earthly ministry. He wasn't anti-wealth. In addition, the scriptures are full of stories of generous people who lived out their faith. Uh, the law and the prophets give us teachings of how we are to live. We are to um, take care of the widow and the orphan. We are to share our food with the hungry. 
We are, if we are farmers, we are not to harvest every bit of the land, but farmers are to leave a margin around the edges so people who are hungry can glean. Think of the story of Ruth and Boaz. Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, are impoverished and starving in Moab. They go back to Naomi's homeland outside Bethlehem, and they go to one of Naomi's relatives, Boaz, who is wealthy. Boaz is a just man. He, allowed, he left margins in his property so Ruth could glean. And Ruth's gleaning kept her and Naomi alive. They had enough food because of Boaz's generosity. Later, Boaz and Ruth were married and became the grandparents of King David. So a tremendous story of faithfulness out of a legacy of a wealthy person who was generous. So this is not a story that everyone wealthy is bad. It is a story about someone who was wealthy who didn't pay attention to the people around him, unlike Boaz. Nor is it a story that talks about everyone poor being righteous. Frankly, it doesn't tell us anything about Lazarus. I, I will tell you, it's fascinating reading the commentaries on this because some commentators say we just don't know. Others kind of twist themselves into pretzels trying to figure out how to make Lazarus virtuous. But the passage just doesn't tell us anything about him. One, one commentator argued that Lazarus must be a very gentle person because the dogs come out and lick his sores. So they make him kind of a St. Francis character that the dogs lick his sores. That could be. My experience with dogs, they'll lick just about anything. <laughs> so don't really know that that's about the righteousness of Lazarus, but maybe, <laughs> you know, who knows? Uh, in any event... Lazarus is a person who is suffering, that we know, who had people who cared enough about him to bring him to the gate of a wealthy person who might have given him to aid, given him aid, which then takes us deeper into the wealthy man. What do we know about this wealthy man? He had enough money for fancy clothes, he had enough money for fancy food, but he didn't send food out to the hungry man at his gate. His dogs went out to care for Lazarus, but he didn't. And there's an interesting little element here. He knew Lazarus's name. I, I don't know which is worse. Is it worse to know Lazarus's name and not help him? Or is it worse not to know the name of the suffering person at your gate? I don't know. But either way, he knows that there's a suffering man named Lazarus at his gate, and he does nothing about it. He is so self-absorbed, so involved in his own pleasure, that he ignores what is right there, which is showing us something powerful about who the rich man was. When the rich man was in Hades, when uh, Lazarus was up in the bosom of Abraham, Father Abraham says, there is a great chasm between us and you, referring to the chasm between paradise and Hades. But I would argue that that chasm was already there, that the wealthy man was already living that chasm. Whatever the distance was between his inner courtyard and where Lazarus was out at his gate, that could have been from his own home to Mars for how he treated Lazarus. There was already a chasm between himself and people who were poor and suffering. The rich man was not just a rich man. He was a rich man who was selfish and without compassion, who did not follow the teachings of the scripture, who didn't pay attention. And then 
just in case you didn't notice it, but you probably did, what is, what is the rich man's attitude in Hades? Does he look up at Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham and think, oh, look at how selfish I was. Look at how I didn't care for this dear man. That could have been an opportunity for repentance. But did he repent? No. He starts calling on Lazarus to serve him. Do you catch the irony of this? The wealthy man who did not serve Lazarus in his earthly life now expects Lazarus to serve him in Hades. The gall, the nerve. Here is this guy. Yeah, you're suffering, you're hungry, you have sores, yada, yada. I'm down here in Hades. You should be serving me. Send Lazarus to get me water. Really? And then send Lazarus to warn my brothers. Father Abraham says, oh, they got the scriptures. No, send him. If someone's risen from the dead, then they'll pay attention. He sees Lazarus as someone put on earth to serve him. This man was wealthy, but he was poor. He was poor in spirit. He was poor in soul. He was poor in fellow feeling. He was poor in attending to the scriptures, which had all he needed to lead a generous life. Because the Bible tells us to care for others, to have compassion on others, when people are hungry, to feed them. I mean, we're, we're passing out bags at the end of the service today to invite you to bring food back for the food pantries in town. That's what we're commanded to do. The Bible makes it very clear to care for the brother or sister at our door or right before us. The rich man is a kind of caricature of someone who is very poor, who was lacking in compassion and lacking in generosity. He is in some ways a tragic character who finds himself in Hades and is shocked by it and still has not learned. At the end of the story, we don't get any sense of compassion or any sense of repentance or awareness. He's still looking for Lazarus to serve him and his family. And Father Abraham is trying to say, friend, if, if they're not paying attention to the scriptures, they're not going to pay attention to one resurrected from the dead. We hear this story and we know it's speaking to us of what our lives can feel like, that the fullness of our life and how we lead our lives in this life directly connects with what our lives are like in the afterlife. If we are generous and loving and compassionate, if we do not treat a chasm between us and them, the paradise of community we live in this life is very likely to be continued in our afterlife. If we have lived with a great chasm of them out there not caring for others, we're already in Hades. We are already impoverished spiritually in not being connected to our neighbor. And that spiritual poverty that we've lived in this life will continue on into the afterlife. It's a humbling word. We can hear this story and feel beaten up and guilty. But I don't think that's why Jesus told it. I think Jesus told it as a very heartening wake-up call. Friends, don't be like this rich guy. <laughs> don't live that wealthy, poor life. 
live a generous life, live a compassionate life, follow the Torah teachings of caring for the poor and the suffering, of living in community, of not allowing a great chasm between us and them. And the scriptures give us examples of people of great wealth, like Boaz, like Lydia, that we read about in Acts, who are generous and support the ministry and, and enable amazing ministries to take place in Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, there's always the option to treat people who are suffering as someone out there, someone who's not part of our concern, to treat them as someone to serve us. But when we have those attitudes, we are leading deeply poor, impoverished lives, which will carry with us into impoverished souls. Or we can read the scriptures, we can hear the witness of the parable and live lives of freedom and generosity. Thanks be to God. Amen.